Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash teacher recharge. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash teacher recharge today. I'm Fred Kep. I'm currently in one of the coolest Airbnbs on the planet, and you're listening to the Teacher Recharge. Let's get it going. Hello, 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 all you beautiful, beautiful people out there. I hope your Monday is off to a fantastic start. If you're listening to this on a Tuesday, it's probably because you had Monday off for Labor Day, so I hope your Labor Day was fantastic, and your Tuesday's off to a great start. Today, we have a wonderful guest that was willing to come on the show with us. His name is John Williams. He is the creator and founder of LifeThatCounts.org, and that is an organization that is dedicated to helping students make better decisions for healthy outcomes. Now, how this started was John actually started as a volunteer helping with peer-to-peer mentoring and having that positively affect a school. And he was able to get a grant and he was able to have a pilot school. During the first two years, Life That Counts was able to help that pilot school experience unprecedented outcomes in the school's history. For the first time, using the curriculum that John was building as he went, the school experienced a decrease in discipline referrals by over 96%. That's from 49 per month to only two per month. I mean, that is crazy. He's here today to talk about how he did this. Now, this might be actually a two-part interview. We got to talking and we talked for a while, (laughs) but it's all good stuff. And I think it'll really pump you up for the week ahead. And then, you know, if it is two parts, It'll pump you up for next week as well. Without further ado, enjoy this interview. I think you're going to love it, and I hope it makes your day. All right, everyone. Today, I'm here with John Williams, the founder and president of LifeThatCounts.org. How are you today, John? I'm well, Fred. How are you, man? It's good to catch up with you. Yeah, I'm doing well. Good to catch up with you, too. It's been a while, for sure. I want to just jump straight in and ask, what is all this that you're passionate about? Like, give us a little bit of a, a background to everything that you're doing right now. Yeah, the, the short of it is, Fred, I grew up in sort of an inner city in Alabama. I never met my father. I lived in a very abusive very dysfunctional home, a lot of alcohol abuse, drug abuse, physical abuse. There was other kinds of abuses as well in my home. My whole goal for my life was my wife is going to know her husband and my kids are going to know their dad. And I wanted my wife to be loved, affirmed, valued, supported, taken care of, bloomed, groomed, whatever, whatever, man, by her husband. And I wanted my kids to have the, the loving nurture of their dad. So as I've got to grow up doing this walk called life. I've got to uh, I've got to grow into that. So my wife and I will have been married for 17 years come January uh-huh. and we have two boys. We have a 15 year old and a 12 year old. So okay. it, uh, yeah, they're trying to eat us out of house and home. <laughs> so you said 17 years of marriage. You want to know how long I've been married? About uh, a month and a half now. <laughs> so 
What a uh, oh, what? Congratulations, man! I didn't hey, know I, yeah, yeah. I think the last time we talked was before that. That's really cool for everybody out there. What what is your number one advice for like your biggest advice for being married, like learn for married say, life? Yeah, learn to say yes, ma'am, really quick. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Lifethatcounts.org. I I just wanted to to kind of get a background about that. So so what are you doing with that particular thing? What are some statistics behind it? Well, Fred, we exist to help students make better decisions for more healthy outcomes. So for the last uh, 15 years or so, I've Google searched almost weekly two words, hot and school. And then I'll click the little news icon in Google. And it never fails that the top results every time I do it it's always something negative. It's always something that brings a black eye on education, that brings a black eye on schools in America. So you don't have to be a rock scientist to know that as far as youth culture in America goes, we're not in a very good place. So what our organization has chosen to do and focus on at Life That Counts is we solve some of those issues facing youth culture around our country. So we provide trial tested, rigorously evaluated solutions that any school in any community around the U.S. can adopt and implement to transform culture. It's almost like this, if you will. We have classes on biology. We have classes on geometry, on English. We have those types of classes. But where's the class on life? So that that class isn't that class almost doesn't exist anymore. In working with the Center for Disease Control and the U.S. Census Bureau, our best guess right now in America is that roughly three out of 10 kids coming into our schools daily are coming from homes where they have one or more biological parent at home. That leaves seven out of 10 kids coming into our schools around the U.S., who have one or none biological parent in their home. So it's kind of like this, Fred. Quick question. Did you have brothers or sisters growing up? Yes, yes, I did. Brothers I have one sister. 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 I have one sister, yeah. Yeah, is she older or younger? Older. Older, all right. So how much older? Um. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Put me on the spot. I think she's two years, three years older. Okay, so so you oh guys grew up relatively close together in age. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Uh, did you and your sister ever fight in the backseat of the car? <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, let, let me ask you this, Fred, because I don't know about you. I don't know this about you. Did you have both your mom and dad at home growing up? Yes, I did. Okay, you're the anomaly. So how old okay. are you, Fred? I'm 24. All right, 20. Yeah, you're definitely, you're, so you're that three out of 10 coming mm-hmm. in. Maybe that three out of 10, right? Because it's mm-hmm. one or more. So uh, you guys definitely fought in the back seat growing up. Yeah. So I'm just curious, that, did your dad ever like threaten to pull over the car or, you know, turn around while you're driving and tell you guys to knock it out? Was there ever that, that component that happened with you guys? He'd usually turn around and tell me to knock it off, but yeah. Um, <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Were there ever times in your life where your father affirmed you, where he gave you a hug and where he said, Fred, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm proud of the man that you're becoming. Right. How yeah. about even at your wedding? Was he there at your wedding? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Was he like there by your side, supporting you, walking you through it? Definitely. Definitely. All right. Now, what if you're that kid who doesn't have that? That's just I couldn't even imagine. So carry it out to another degree. What if your kid that not only has the emotional validation by his parents, her parents, they mm-hmm. don't already have the the healthy discipline relational piece mm-hmm. through them? 
parents. Mm-hmm. But you're that kid, and and what you do have is you do have a smartphone with Instagram and snaps to twits the tube, right? <laughs> yeah. And what if you're always looking at how cool everyone else's life is except your own? Man, I don't know. But that would that what would be does rough. That, do for you? that would be rough. Yeah, that would be very rough. Because right, then you start, to, start mm-hmm. to think of what life should be, even though like there's really not. A, a set thing of what life really actually should be, but you start to get an idea kind of pushes you toward one way. Well, and here's, what's crazy about that. Do any of us actually show our real lives on Instagram? Or no, on way. not at all. We curate it, right? We, we do a highlight reel of our, of our best plays of the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's our weekly top 10 on ESPN is what we post on our social. So if that's all we're seeing and we don't have anything quote unquote, social worthy to post about our life. And then if we're just seeing that top 10 and that top 10 is maybe, maybe we're following someone like Drake or someone like, you know, Lil Pump or something like that. And it's their social feed is full of what their social feed is. But wait, I'm an 11 year old young man. I'm living in the inner city. doesn't matter if I'm white, black, Hispanic, whatever doesn't matter if I'm in the north, south, east, or west. It doesn't matter. That's the person that I'm looking to to pattern my life after. Their lyrics are becoming the philosophies that I want to live by. Right. Do, do you see how this perpetuates? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've seen this. MTV did a thing back in the, it was either the late 90s or the early 2000s. And the documentary was asked the question, is it, is it culture that drives social or is it culture that drives media? Cause that was back before social media. Does culture drive media or does media drive culture? So I was talking with Lita Blank, who's an executive producer. She produces movies a few days ago. And, and Lita works with people like Maggie Q and Dylan McDermott. And she worked with Whoopi Goldberg and, and just different folks like that. But I'm having mm-hmm. this conversation with Lita and I'm bringing this up, which one drives which. And she believes that it's, it's media and it's social that drives culture because when we flash these things on the big screen and when we flash these things across your, your electronic device, then that's what you're trying to live up to, right? right? That's who you're trying to be. So I want to push it back. I want to push it back a second. And I want to go even into something that I observed this summer with my own kids. So I had a pretty rigorous travel and speaking schedule this summer. And I just come off of speaking at the State Department of Education's annual conference in Mobile, Mm -hmm. Alabama. And this was for for the State Department of Alabama. And I gave talks there on how to stop a school shooter mm-hmm. and, and we can come back to that if you want. But while over the course of like 10 days, my 15 year old son who was traveling with me had spent something like 93 hours on his phone. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So you know how we calculate this, right? We go under your settings. We look at your battery usage. We count it all up. We see what you're doing, right? Right. Get, get this. My wife was with me. My kids were with like we're all together, but I'm just totally like it's work zone. My family gets that I'm in kind of work mode and they're along for the ride and all that kind of thing. It was a rigorous schedule at any at any rate. Even me as the dad of the 30 percent kid. Mm-hmm. I let that go under my radar. Freddie spent a whole 24 hours and 10 days on Snapchat. Yeah, he, he spent one whole day of his life in 10 days. So he spent 10% of his life on Snapchat. Oh my gosh. He spent more than two full-time jobs in 10 days. 
on his phone. Dang. Yeah. So let's just drive back to that social, relational, emotional piece and see what's going on with our kids. So if the emotional validation is not there Mm -hmm. and if we're not raising kids who are healthy, if we're not raising kids who are and it's not really a question of right or wrong anymore. We've actually learned to phrase it better. We The better way to phrase this is what is healthy for you, what is unhealthy for you. Mm-hmm. And we all agree that 93 hours on your phone in 10 days is unhealthy. Right. Even, even my 15-year-old agreed with that. Now, here's what's curious about that. I want to fast forward three weeks from that day. Okay. My, son, my son was with me. I was working a youth camp. My 15-year-old was with me. I was working a youth camp up in northern Vermont. And while I was working that camp, my son had absolutely no cell service whatsoever on his phone. <laughs> it was a brick. Right? No. Know. Ah. You know, you know, what's crazy. I'm, I'm not going to say too much here just um, because I know that he wouldn't want me to on an interview like this, but the emotional heartstrings that were pulled when I took him to an airport, to the airport with his mom to head back early. Mm-hmm. My wife's a teacher, so she had to come and get her classroom ready and stuff. The emotional heartstrings that were pulled over that five or six days of them being with me at camp, mm-hmm. when he got to make real, authentic, raw connections with people. He asked me in the car, Fred, Dad, how do I know which ones to choose as my good friends? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Whoa. And he was like, Dad, they're all great people. I don't know which one. They're all different, but they're all great people, and I don't know which ones to choose. And I thought, wow. Yeah. I thought that that's youth culture done well. Right. And, you know, we had a great team there. We had a great staff there. The the students were there. They had slam pack schedules with games and activities and small group time and big group time. And there was, you know, song and dance and just goofy things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. We're, We're crazy games. And of course, food, all of the usual suspects. He got to completely unplug. He went through a season where he was completely plugged in mm-hmm. into a season where he was completely unplugged. Right. And the juxtaposition between the outcomes and the effect that that had on my son, mm-hmm. it, was, it was almost like an, an unexpected controlled experiment. Right. It was, it was crazy. What we do, and this is where we help schools turn the corner, and this is where we come in and we we work to serve because we're all in this for we're all in this for the betterment of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. What we do is we help come in and we help fix that culture piece, and we help identify not negative behaviors that are happening, but what we do is we say, okay, what do we want the the culture of this campus to look like, and then. How do we become intentional about it? And we, mm-hmm. we use a, a multidiscipline method that is cross-age, collaborative, peer-to-peer. Cross-age is younger younger students working with older students. <laughs> collaborative is they meet together in regular weekly, bi-weekly groups, and then peer-to-peer. So it's student-on-student. Student. You and I are both youth speakers, so we mm-hmm. know what it's like to go into a school and speak on a platform and that kind of thing. But that may be 1% of the solution. Like right. topyouthspeaker.com, like, you know, all of the guys out there just really hustling to both serve the community and provide for their families and all of that thing. Like that may be one, it may be 1%. I'm not even sure it's 100% right. of the solution. Because you right. think about just the time on it. It's a 45-minute window where someone comes into your school once. And right. then 
here's what I'm curious of. Eleven days later, right? Number. Do they even remember? So, so what we want to do is, so not only do we provide those solutions as well with experienced guys who come in, like Laura King and Jamel Feldner and others, and myself included. In addition to that, what we do is we provide year-long solutions and strategies and proven methods that have been rigorously evaluated, actually evidence-based now through the U.S. Mm-hmm. Department of Education. Uh, teen Pregnancy Prevention helped with the grant to get some of that stuff in our curriculum, evidence-based. I'm excited about that. Evidence-based to come in and serve students, meet them where they are to move the needle in youth culture even that farther along to help students help students experience what health looks like and help them truly make better decisions for more healthy outcomes. And I love it. Well, hey, we are going to take a real quick break to thank a sponsor and we will be right back. We got John Williams on the mic today. Ouch. God. In the head with that. That's funny. All right. You know we're recording video too, right? Yeah, this is great, man. We can make a blooper. You can make a blooper real. Oh, Instagram. All right. Right. Okay, here we go. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audible.com slash Teacher Recharge. Now, for you, the listeners of the Teacher Recharge podcast, Audible is offering that free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. When I have a guest on the show, I always ask for a book recommendation. John, what is a book that you would recommend to all of our listeners out there? The Memoirs of Phil Knight. It's this, it's the name of the book is Shoe Dog. Phil Knight is uh, it's his memoirs. I'll tell you, man. Hands down, probably the best book I've ever read in my life. Period. Oh my goodness, that is a huge endorsement there. All right, to download that book for free or any of their over a hundred and eighty thousand other titles that you can choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, go to audibletrial.com slash teacher recharge. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash teacher recharge for your free audiobook and free 30-day trial. And we are back in the studio with, well, kind of in the studio. Man, it's kind of weird. I, I like to say in the studio, but once again, across the nation from each other, but still in the in the studio in our hearts with John Williams, the founder and president of lifethatcounts.org. Let's go back to the to the tragedy that happened in Parkland, Florida this year. Now, I'll save this story for later of what happened a week later in northern Idaho. Mm-hmm. But let's consider Parkland. Now, I need to preface this by saying that in no way am I advocating blaming the victims. Mm-hmm. No way is this intended to advocate that I'm blaming the victims. Remember how... I grew up. I grew up in a very abusive, very alcoholic situation. Mm-hmm. My family members, brothers, cousins, myself, we were knocked around, beaten, cussed out. You, I mean, just made to feel completely worthless on, on a weekly, almost daily 
occurrence. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was never my fault. That was never my brother's fault, my cousin's fault for getting beat the way that we were and all that kind of thing. It was never my aunt's, my, you know, my aunt's fault when my uncle would go on a drunken binge and grab her by her throat and then closed fist hit her in the face repeatedly until she was passed out, you know, until he knocked mm-hmm. her out. It, it was never so. So in no way, please hear my heart here in saying in no way I'm advocating blame shifting to the victims. But I do want to ask this question. And I think that this is a question that can get lost if we get too caught up in taking one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And the question that I can't that I think can get lost is this. Think about the young man who pulled the trigger. His adopted dad dies when he's six. His adopted mom dies last Thanksgiving. His girlfriend breaks up with him in December, right before school lets out. Okay, all the while this guy is what was he, nineteen years old? Eighteen years old at the time. Right out of high school, yeah. He has high functioning spectrum autism disorder. Mm -hmm. So he's high functioning autistic. So there's already something going on there. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'm curious of. Where were the people on the news who said, you know, when this guy's adopted mom passed away, I came beside him and I put my arm around him and I said, hey, man, I just want you to know I'm here for you. Hey, man, come over to dinner with me tonight. Hey, man, hang out with us. Hey, man, let's play. Not that not that I'm advocating for this, but hey, man, let's go play Halo. Yeah. Hey, hey, man, let's hang out. And then when his girlfriend breaks up with him again, was this guy ridiculed was he mocked was he and the, his principal spoke out on a little bit of this so we know that he was yeah so was he mocked with like what where was his support system right exactly. again again my here's what i want here i think what i'm advocating for is man there's 17 people who didn't get to go home that night the students at the school, man, they'll they'll never know what it's like to give Christmas presents to their own kids and they'll never get to experience the birth right. of their own kids. And just like you got to get married, Fred, they'll never get to get married and they'll never get to experience that life. Mm-hmm. And they're no longer here just because some kid along the way made the most foolish decision you could possibly make. Yeah. So it's kind of like, let's do something about that. Mm-hmm. So here's what we here's what we know. Aside from some kind of miracle, I don't mm-hmm. know that we're going to be able to turn the clock back on parents not being able to work things out and stay together in their homes for their kids. Mm-hmm. So that emotional validation, that social validation, that relational that what we used to call at home training, right? As older folks, we call it home training because you learn how to treat each other at home mm-hmm. and then carry that into your school. So what we've got to do is we've got to find a solution that works. Mm-hmm. We've got to find something that can plug into our schools, that we can actually invest the time. Biology doesn't matter if you have bullets flying in your classroom. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Simple as it, it, it just it, it absolutely doesn't matter. Yeah. So so is there a solution out there? where we can we can have that life class where we can create some real accountability where we where we can harness and leverage here's what we know about students every student in every classroom around the world especially in the US has influence mm-hmm. every person has influence the question is is whether or not they're using that influence mm-hmm. so how Definitely. can we harness 
how can we positively harness that influence to be intentional to help students make better decisions for more healthy outcomes? Yeah. So we do that. And that's what we bring to the table when we come in to serve schools. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Teacher Recharge Podcast. Come back next week for part two of this interview with John Williams. Obviously, he's not afraid to tackle some tough subjects. It was a wonderful interview. And next week, we'll have some story time, which is always a wonderful time. So if you know anybody that would be perfect for this podcast, or if you have any suggestions, questions, or topics you want covered, please go ahead, email me at teacherrechargepodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is teacherrechargepodcast at gmail.com. If you want to check out my own speaking business and my own speaking website, go to fredmotivates.com and learn about the love and success approach to leadership. I would love to serve your school and talk with your students. Thank you so much once again. We will see you next week. And until then, peace.